following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, September 18, 2022, on the basis of Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. A good doctor prescribes treatment for a patient only after he has made a very careful diagnosis. That's why when we go to the doctor, they do what they do. They check our vitals. They ask us a bunch of questions. They perhaps even run some tests. And then only after making a very careful diagnosis do they go ahead and prescribe some treatment. For the past several weeks, we've been seeing how our Savior Jesus kept prescribing the same treatment over and over and over again with the people he encountered. And that treatment was surgery. Jesus was encountering people who, at least on the outside, appeared to be spiritually healthy, people who in many cases thought that they were spiritually healthy, but over and over again, Jesus pulls out his surgeon's scalpel and he slices them wide open with his sharp, cutting words. He exposes the spiritual disease that is inside their hearts so that he can provide its healing medicine. Thus, our current worship series, Wounds That Heal. And yet, as I looked at the verses that are in front of us today, these verses from Luke chapter 15, I realized very quickly that they do not fit. Not at all, in fact. There are no sharp, cutting words from Jesus in these verses. In fact, just the opposite. The words that Jesus speaks are very kind and even complimentary we might say. In these verses, Jesus seems to be offering treatment that is very different. What in the world is that all about? Well, evidently, that's a very important question for us to have an answer to, at least according to some research that was published just this past week. The Pew Research Center published some projections that As soon as the year 2070, Christians in our country could find themselves in the minority. Now, I realize that 2070 might seem a long way off yet, but it's really kind of remarkable when you consider the fact that just two years ago, in the year 2020, Christians made up 64% of the population. It's even more remarkable when you consider that back in 1970, Christians made up more than 92% of the population. But evidently, all of that is going to change. In other words, as more time passes, more and more, we are going to find ourselves surrounded by the very types of people that Jesus encounters in the verses that are in front of us today. People who are far from God. People who perhaps all their lives have wanted nothing to do with God or his word. People who have been pursuing with their lives a path that is contrary to, at odds with the word of God. More and more, those types of people are going to be our classmates and our co-workers and the members of our family. And even if you don't consider yourself sort of like a, a spiritual doctor whose responsibility it is to heal those people, perhaps you would be inclined to ask yourself a question that sounds an awful lot like the question a doctor might ask. When you encounter people who are far from God, how are you 
supposed to treat them? Plenty of opinions have been offered about how Christians should interact with others in an increasingly non-Christian world. And yet even for all the opinions and all the advice that you might find out there, as we look at what Jesus does in these verses, it still seems to be out there. It seems to be extreme. It seems to be downright shocking. And yet what we are going to see as we look at these verses from Luke chapter 15 this morning is that Jesus is simply doing what a good doctor does. He is prescribing treatment that is based on a careful diagnosis. As we look at these verses from Luke 15 this morning, we're going to see that the treatment that Jesus prescribes is obvious once you hear his shocking diagnosis. Now, because this diagnosis that we're going to hear from Jesus is so shocking, it shouldn't surprise us that, we're su- that there were some people who didn't see it the same way. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law looked at the crowds of people that were gathering around Jesus, and in their minds, the diagnosis of these people seemed obvious. They were far from God. They wanted nothing to do with God and his word. They were living, they were walking down a path that was contrary to God's will. And in their minds, they were 100% to blame for that. Which also meant that the responsibility for finding their way way back to God was 100% on their shoulders. And so in the minds of these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, it was perfectly fine it was perfectly acceptable to treat them the way that they deserve to be treated, to keep them at arm's length, to exclude them from polite society, to give them dirty looks and to make snide remarks about them as they passed by. All of that was perfectly obvious. And so it's no wonder that when Jesus treated those people in the exact opposite way, they became so upset when Jesus welcomed them with open arms, when Jesus was willing to spend time with them and be associated with them, when Jesus was even willing to go to their houses, sit down with them at their dining room tables and eat and drink with them. In the minds of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that's how you treated people who deserved it. That's not how you treated people who didn't deserve it. They assumed that their treatment of people confirmed what they deserved, and so they were upset when Jesus seemed to be doing exactly the opposite. Actually, the the reality is that assuming that our treatment of people serves to confirm the very thing that they deserve is not just obvious to us by nature, it's actually quite appealing Why? Because if we assume that our treatment of people only confirms what they deserve, then it also confirms what we think we deserve. It confirms whatever reason we think we have in our own heads for receiving favorable and positive treatment from God and from others. That's why there's always sort of been a love-hate relationship between Pharisee and teacher of the law types and tax collector and sinner types between people who are far from God and people who fancy themselves close to God. Yes, there is disdain from one toward the other, but there is also dependence of one on the other. 
The very existence in our world of people who appear to be so far from God is the thing that often convinces us that we are the ones who are so close to God. And so what is it? What is the type of person who would get you as upset as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were if all of a sudden one day they walked into church? Or if they started coming back again and again and again and started getting involved and serving in various ways and helping out with our building project or singing in the choir? What would happen if you saw one of those people? What type of people would it need to be that would get you so upset if you saw them grabbing a cup of coffee with a dear Christian friend of yours or sitting down for lunch with your pastor? You know, the reality is that when we keep people at arm's length, when we give them a cold shoulder, when we give them a dirty look or make snide remarks about them, the real problem is not even so much that we are treating someone else so poorly. Even bigger than that, the problem is what it says about us and what we think is the reason that we deserve to be treated so well by our God. It is not just obvious, it is actually appealing for us to assume that our treatment of other people serves only to confirm what they deserve. And then when we see Jesus offering a treatment that is so, so very different, it's only natural that we would get upset. So how do you suppose Jesus responds to this group of people who assume that his treatment is so bizarre and to assume that their diagnosis of the tax collectors and sinners is so obvious. Well, Jesus responded by telling a couple of parables. And in those parables, the actions of the main characters are entirely obvious. That seems to be the point that Jesus is making as he tells these two stories. He wants these Pharisees and these teachers of the law to identify with the main characters in those stories. And he's saying to them, if you were in their shoes, wouldn't you act in exactly the same way? So if you were a shepherd and you lost one of your sheep, wouldn't you go after it? Or if you were a woman who lost a coin, 10% of her entire life's savings, and you knew that that coin was somewhere in your house, wouldn't you look for it? until you found it? Do you think that you would say to that sheep, oh, it's the sheep's fault that it ran away, so I'm just going to leave it to find its way back to the rest of the flock? Of course you wouldn't say that, and of course you wouldn't say that to a lifeless coin. Would you expect that search to be difficult? Of course you would. You would expect that going after a sheep in the open country would be a dangerous and difficult proposition. You would expect that finding that coin would take some time, especially if you lived in a house where the floor was made out of dirt and there certainly weren't any LED light bulbs hanging from the ceiling to help light the way. But then if you found them, after all of that difficulty, after all of that danger, wouldn't you be thrilled? In fact, wouldn't your joy over finding that lost item seem outsized in comparison with the value of the thing that you found? In fact, maybe you would even call up your friends 
to have them over for dinner, and you might actually serve them the very sheep that you just spent so much time trying to find. And maybe you would call up all of your neighbors and you would spend the majority of the value of that coin that you just spent so much time looking for in order that you could serve them a meal. Wouldn't you do those things? There isn't anything shocking about the behavior of the two characters in these two stories. But what is shocking is that Jesus would use those pictures of a sheep and a coin as a picture for us. Again, nothing shocking about the way that Jesus was treating the tax collectors and the sinners. The shocking thing was the way that he had diagnosed their spiritual problem. And that diagnosis can be summed up in a single word, a word that is basically synonymous with the parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, the two that are in front of us, And the third one, the most famous one about the father who had two sons, that one word diagnosis that Jesus applies, lost. I mean, think about it. When you declare that something is lost, what are you saying about it? You are saying, first of all, that it has value to you, that you miss it and that you want it back. You are also saying that whatever you might say about what is responsible for that thing being lost, you are going to take the burden of finding it upon yourself. And even if that act of searching and finding is difficult, whatever burden needs to be carried, whatever time it takes, whatever sacrifice needs to be made, you are saying that you are the one who is going to make it. And then you are saying that if you find that thing, you will have even more joy than when you possessed it in the first place. In fact, you will have a joy so great that it would seem outsized in comparison to the value of the thing that you have found. Jesus is saying all of that. When he looks at these tax collectors and he looks at these sinners and he says that they are lost. There's really nothing shocking about the treatment that Jesus applies. What's shocking is that diagnosis. And so I'm not even going to spell out in great detail a whole bunch of specifics about how you should treat people who are far from God. Instead, I'm just going to ask you to imagine how you might treat them if you applied that same diagnosis, if you saw people far from God as lost. How might you treat someone if you remembered just how much value they have to God? He made them. He sent his son to die on the cross for them. Of course, he has value. How might you treat someone if no matter what you might say about the responsibility for their lostness, you chose instead to ignore it? You chose to completely disregard whatever they might deserve and instead you took on yourself the burden and the obligation of finding them? How might you treat someone if no matter the burden that needed to be carried, no matter the sacrifice that needed to be made, you were the one who was always willing to pay it? How might you treat someone if then, after all of that work, it actually worked? And that person who seemed so far from God took even just one step back toward him. 
no matter what you might do, there wouldn't be anything shocking about that, that treatment that you would apply because of that shocking diagnosis that you would give. And perhaps what's even more shocking about these verses that are in front of us today is not just that the tax collectors and the sinners received this shocking diagnosis from Jesus, so also did the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. As I mentioned before, this is one example where there are no sharp words that come from Jesus' mouth, and there's a reason for that. It's because as these Pharisees and teachers of the law approach Jesus, they themselves were the ones with the scalpel in their hands. And they were, of course, looking to use that scalpel to sort of jab at Jesus and criticize what he was doing. But in the process, all they did was slice themselves wide open and put their guts right there out on the operating table. That muttering exposed their self-righteousness. It exposed what they thought those tax collectors and sinners deserved, it also exposed what they thought they deserved. But what's remarkable is that Jesus applies the same shocking diagnosis to them. He doesn't have words of rebuke or words of condemnation. Instead, he tells them this lovely story. He invites them to identify with the characters in that story. He essentially invites them to experience the incredible joy of what happens when a lost sinner is found. Jesus is being just as kind and just as caring to them as he was to the tax collectors and sinners. I'm guessing it's the case with you as much as it is the case with me that we can think of no shortage of situations where we have sliced ourselves open and spilled our guts out there for everyone to see. By giving others a cold shoulder, by keeping them at arm's length, those dirty looks, those snide remarks. There is more than one way to be far from God. Yes, we are far from God when we want nothing to do with him, when we have no time for his word, when we live a life that is contrary to his path, but we wander far from God when we think that it's because of what we deserve that we should expect favorable treatment from him. And yet, remarkably, Jesus also looks at us and he applies that same shocking diagnosis. Lost. Why else would he value us so much? Why else would Jesus have been willing to go on this difficult and dangerous rescue mission to come here to earth? Why else would Jesus have put the entire burden of our sin on his shoulders and carried it to the cross? Why else would Jesus have sent the dozens, maybe hundreds of people that he has placed in our lives to speak his words of grace and forgiveness to us? And why else would Jesus allow us to peek into heaven and assure us of the joy that he feels when we too find our way back to him? Why else would Jesus do for us exactly what we need, applying exactly the treatment that is right? So the tax collectors and the sinners, they get, a sit, they get a seat at the table with Jesus. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they get this wonderful parable that invites them into the joy of Jesus' kingdom. And we too get exactly what we need. And so what about those dozens, those hundreds, those thousands of people who, at least according to the Pew Research Center, are increasingly going to be our classmates 
and our coworkers and our neighbors and the members of our family? How should we treat them? Well, to try and apply some uniform standard of treatment would instead would miss the point entirely. Instead, pay attention to Jesus' shocking diagnosis. In a world where treatment of others is so often a confirmation of what we think that they deserve, make Jesus' shocking diagnosis your shocking diagnosis of everyone that you meet. And I have a feeling that the treatment will then take care of itself. Amen.